Welcome, everyone. Thanks for joining us. Today, we are kicking off our discussion about our present COVID reality in these United States. We don't jump in with our takes about vaccines and masks and all of that, but instead, we try to open up the context for all the fighting and tension surrounding COVID. Again, thank you so much for joining us. My name is Lucas Weeks, and the conversation today is with Max Carell and Tim Bailey. This is the Out of Our Minds podcast. I think we need to establish certain things at the very outset. We've now been living under COVID for, I mean, goodness, we started hearing about it in December, I guess, right? In China. Mm-hmm. So I'd say a year and a half, probably. So we've been living under a year and a half, and we all know, we don't live under a rock, that there has been no end of fighting about COVID, uh, whether you're talking about masks, and now we're talking about vaccines. It's been going on and on and on. My sense of the basic argument for people that are inclined to be very worked up about what's going on with COVID is that their basic position is that we're, we are headed into the night as a nation, as a church, uh, that we're headed into the darkness. And, and so what I'd like to do is take a step back from COVID. Let's assume maybe we're talking, let's say COVID didn't even happen yet. Do you men believe that that is an accurate assessment of the church in this country, of this nation, that we are headed into our dotage or headed into the night, into the darkness? Is Is that a true statement? I have believed it's true, but not because of COVID, although COVID uh, certainly is an indication of God's judgment. I I have believed that our nation, you know, Robert Bork wrote Slouching to Gomorrah, which I didn't read, (laughs) but but at the same time, you don't have to read it to get Get the the gist of it. Mm. And so you think about our nation and, and how morally we keep eroding and eroding and eroding. And sometimes it comes in spurts and other times it's just a, a slow delay. And it seems to me that that's what we're heading toward is just the demise of who we are because, or the demise of what, what good we are. Mm. You just can't imagine God letting us go on and on and on. It seems untenable that you could, that, that a nation could exist with the kind of cannibalism feeding on ourselves that we do in sin. Yeah. So, and you would agree, Tim? I mean, another book that comes to my mind is Schlossberg, Idols for Destruction. Yeah, but Herb, when he wrote that book, was really pointing out the degree to which God's people looked to the government. Okay. And... The degree to which in the Western world at this time, we make an idol of the government and of our nation. You know, it's very hard to have a philosophy of history, historiography, a perspective on centuries instead of years, okay? (laughs) It's very hard to have that without awareness that is either a line going up, a line going down, or a line that stays flat. You're saying to be reductionistic about our view of history? Not to, I don't think it is reductionistic. I think all of us carry into our reading of history and our 
approach to church and society, Mm -hmm. to politics. I think all of us, without realizing, have a view that either every day in every way the world gets better and better, which is the classic liberal position, or every day things (laughs) get worse and worse, which is what you're referring to, or every day things go on and some things get better and some things get worse. Mm -hmm. And I actually believe that it's the final one that is the biblical one. Hmm. Because I think if you look at history, salvation history, church history, Western history, what you do see is progress in some areas and regress and digress. And in other words, you do see more a wave. You don't see steady up. That's a myth, the myth of progress. Hmm. And yet it is absolutely the myth of the Western world. Yeah. And so Christians are contrarians in holding to a decline view, but the decline view is no more true than the progress view. The fact mm. is the king's heart is putty in the hands of God. Mm-hmm. And I want to use as an example of why we should not just think that it's Christian to be every day, you know, things are going to hell in a handbasket, which is what all the um, agitators surrounding COVID who are Christians and reformed are saying. I want to remind us that some of us have lived a while. I'm getting to the point. I've lived a while. And there is not one person anywhere who could have predicted the fall of the Iron Curtain. Nobody could have Mm. predicted it. Nobody was saying things were going to get better with Russia. I can remember being a young kid and being very aware of the fact that at any time there could be a mutually assured destruction of nuclear warheads and it would blow everything to smithereens. I mean, we used to have drills, bomb drills. (laughs) And, you know, you laugh at it. Well, what's the joke? I don't know. There's all kinds of... Okay, you want to hear the joke? I do want to hear the joke. Well, David... (laughs) All right, here's the joke. And I mean, remember, people were building bomb shelters in their yards. You had the Cuban Missile Crisis. It was an existential threat. You know, I remember listening to President Kennedy with the Cuban Missile Crisis talking about the fact that we were looking at the possibility of nuclear war with Russia. Okay? Mm-hmm. And it was really scary. So here's the joke. The joke is, you know what to do if there is uh, a nuclear war. And they teach you this in the classroom. You know, elementary school teacher says, first, you know, you get away from the windows. Yeah. Second, you put your- under your desk. Yeah, you get under your desk. You put your hands over your head. You lean your head down between your knees, and then you kiss your ass goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) That's the joke. (laughs) Okay. And And it really does a good job of summing up the fatalism yeah. and the fear that permeated that time in the 60s. Nobody ever believed that we would see the end of the Iron Curtain, that Lech Walesa and, and Pope Paul and, and, and uh, President so, Reagan, that all these things and the economics, that it would all bring an end. And nobody celebrated the end of that as, as, as sort of a new millennium that now we are all hopeful. Mm. <laughs> you know, it wasn't like that taught us anything about God's providence. You know, it's funny because I, I remember as a child, a political cartoon long time ago. It was like maybe the first political cartoon I understood was a, a soldier 
uh, thawing out and appearing in a desert. And of course, it was a representation from the uh, now the Cold War is done, and now we're going to start fighting in the Middle East. Hmm. And so, hmm. so in other words, I'm hmm. agreeing. It seemed to me, even as a child, I recognized that there was this kind of fear about the state of the world, even as the Cold War ended. Well, as we're talking, I'm thinking, okay, did Tim just disagree with me? And my and what I wonder is that's a good question. <clears throat> what I wonder is whether or not he does disagree with me, because what? in in reality, I agree with him that over the scope of history and over the scope of all creation, there are ebbs and flows, there are ups and downs, and those things are consistent. Yeah, and, but and- if you think about if you think about the a particular nation and what it's had and what it's doing now and where it's heading, mm-hmm. you don't look at America and say, wow, there's a great revival going on of, right. of right. coming to God or coming back to obedience. Right? That's, that's- I, I, I agree with what Tim said in, in the scope of the world, in the scope of God's mercy toward men, and even in the scope of nations like Nineveh that have have the uh, very specific judgment on them and uh, warning and prophecy, God still will come in in, in, and change the situation. And I'm not saying that I have that prophecy for our nation, Mm -hmm. but I do think that we have a lot to answer for Mm -hmm. as a nation. Yeah, I don't disagree with anything you said. I I just just was starting to think about, you know, the whole concept of political culture. Uh, the whole concept of freedom, the whole concept of, mm-hmm. of law, the rule of law. And so when you look cosmically at government, at freedoms, at the rule of law, at the East, at the West, at the Northern Hemisphere, Southern Hemisphere, that is the level on which I'm saying I think you're hard put to make the case that either things are going to hell in a handbasket or every day in every way the world is getting better. Mm-hmm. I think we have waves, we have curves, we have declines, falls. Unexpected mercies. Yeah, but you just don't, but, can't believe. Yeah, yeah the fall, yeah, 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 yeah. But having said that, when you're talking about decline morally, mm-hmm. I mean, there's just no question. Well, and there, I mean, you might make the case for, for the whole world, but let's focus in on the United States. Okay. okay. You, you would agree, in other words, there's no question that our, the moral climate of our country has declined even in the last 50 years. I mean, it's, it's just incredible. Yeah, if, if Max and I were to look at our parents and say, may I bring you on a road trip to 2021, even my father, who was a prophet back mm-hmm. in what he wrote and the positions he took, you know, that book, Winter Flight, everybody thought he was insane, saying that they were going to be harvesting organs, but they've been doing that for years in China. Dan DeLayden helped us to see that they're doing that with abortions. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. But my father would not believe, he would not believe the condition we're in. Mm -hmm. Now, there is a basic division between us and other reformed men, and that division is that we believe that that decline has been led by the church. Mm-hmm. And everybody else believes that that decline has been fought by the church. Hmm. And it hasn't. That's right. The church leads the world. The pulpit leads the world. And so if I were to explain what has happened, 
morally. If I were to explain the decline of freedoms of the United States, I would always explain them as the necessary fruit of the conniving, cowardice, lack of pastoral care, lack of preaching to the conscience, lack of shepherding. And by that, I don't mean telling people when they can, you know, when they can get up, when they can go to sleep. We're talking about the basic, basic callings of the church and of her leaders. Well, so let's talk about sexuality for a second, yes. because I think what you're, you're referring to there is the fact that pastors refused generation, uh, gener well, I don't know how many generations you'd say now, but we as pastors, as a class, have refused to condemn, to speak from the pulpit about what? Adultery, uh, fornication, well, it's not so much that we've refused to speak from the pulpit about adultery. We have spoken. I mean, that's where you get, you know, the scarlet letter. Mm, okay. The problem is that we have connived at the slouch. <laughs> that's the problem. Mm -hmm. And that the church has consistently found a place to parade her virtue and her courage and her prophetic gifts that is slightly different than the liberals. And okay. has called that faithfulness. What we've really done is postured ourselves in a way that keep conservative Christians thinking we're faithful, but send the signal to liberals that we're reasonable. So is that just the difference between driving off the cliff 60 miles an hour versus 30 miles an hour? I mean, are you saying that pastors are willing to just do things, slow, slow the train down a little bit? No, I wish I could say that. I don't <laughs> okay. think pastors are willing to slow the train down at all. No, it's not that they're willing to slow the train down. It's that they know they won't keep getting paid unless they appear to be taking a position against the debauchery morally of the world. And so they always find a place to present themselves to their people in mm -hmm. such a way that their people will keep trusting them and paying them. Okay. But it has no heart. It has no zeal. It, it's a show. And, and that's actually what I think is going on with COVID now. That, mm. on, that honest pagans can see. And they see it and they'll, they'll expose it. Yeah. There was and, a recent article in Salon, was it? Who was it that did the article on Bible translation recently? I think that was Salon. Yeah. yeah. And, and this guy is just a pagan. <laughs> yeah. And he just absolutely shows the betrayal of the doctrine of inspiration by conservative Bible translators and publishers. In the and ESV he, specifically. Yeah. yeah. And he has no commitment to God. Mm. None. And Bloom does the same thing. Yeah, Talks Bloom does Bible the same, homosexual philosophy professor at UC, University of Chicago. And, and you have the Princeton translator who wrote, is that a fish in your ear? Who, in the middle of this book, he's, he's, he's this top drawer translators, won international awards for a professor at Princeton. And he does this book on linguistics, essentially, in which he just reams out Wycliffe for not holding to a high view of Scripture in its translation. <laughs> and so, yes, uh, yeah, and exactly what you're saying, Max. Yeah, I was thinking about Larry King's interview with Rick Warren after the bad <laughs> hurricane, right? And so over and over again in in uh, virtue signaling or in saying how relevant the church is, Rick Warren is talking about all the water we delivered. 
we delivered all this water. We delivered all this water. And Larry King just kept at him and at him. Of course, Larry King was trying to trap him and trying to get Mm -hmm. him to say something Mm -hmm. that Larry King thought would be controversial, but it was the opportunity for Rick Warren. Trying to get Rick Warren to say something that is interesting. Yes. (laughs) But it was the opportunity for Rick Warren to say, yeah, God does send the wind. Yeah, and he yeah. crashes it down on people, yeah. as as Job says, for all kinds of reasons, for discipline, for judgment, all kinds of reasons that God brings wind on mm. people. Yeah. yeah, and he turns it. We look today at churches which are embracing revoicers. Okay, mm-hmm. in other words, men and women who say, you know, we're 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 partners. We've adopted a child together, but we promise not to have intercourse. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. And we're, we're horror stricken by that. Mm-hmm. And we say, no, no, you can't do that. You know, are you kidding me? You're embracing something slightly less than homosexuality. Or is that really where we are? Right. Mm-hmm. And I've been one of the people that has been saying that. Right. But here's the problem. You go back into the 60s in Wheaton at the church I grew up where all the evangelical leaders, a lot of them went to that church and their children was in the youth group. And trust me, the sexual immorality in that youth group was not exceptional. <laughs> okay. Now, now here's my point. It was never disciplined. Mm. It's no different. What's different is that we've moved from fornication and petting not being disciplined in the 60s to sodomy and effeminacy not being disciplined in 2021. Okay. That's my point. Mm -hmm. So, in other words, we hold that the church is largely responsible for the decline. There's no question, no question about mind. that. And a lot of that is because, like you said, we connive at the slouch. We are willing to go along as long as we get our words right so that our constituents continue to pay us. There is a certain excitement that we have to be able to live in a place of such unbearable debauchery. Right. With it's this- like a lot in Sodom and Gomorrah. It's like you know, there is a certain participation which you can be prophetic and yet also yep, yep. sort of, you know, be able to watch in the privacy of your own home with your wife things you shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Well, and and when we think about allies, I think this very question is right in front of us now with things like Fox News. Because I don't know if you've gone on to Fox News. I have not been on, on their On their website. Oh, no. But, All but the conservative stuff is just amazing. Well, but that Fox News on their website, there's constant references, pictures, articles that you can go to to talk about this movie star who's posed naked and this thing, and yeah. she's done mm-hmm. this now, and this and this and this. Well, just their employment of blonde bimbos. Yes, but here's <laughs> the thing. Here we are, and where do our young people go to college? Where are some of the people from our church going to university right now? Well, they're going to that place up in Michigan. That if Fox Which News remain nameless. Well, well, if there's a connection to Fox News with any university or any school, yeah, that's probably uh, one. And so I remember talking to one of the young men leaving, and I said, "Look, you're going to a place where everybody looks like they're on the same page mm-hmm. with you, and you see the church allying with them, but don't be mistaken." Because there is nothing there. It's, it is political. It's probably economics. 
it's a lot of different things, but it's not some place that they're going to be really concerned. It's not in loco parenti where they're thinking about your soul. That's not what Fox News is. Mm-mm. It's not about that. Mm-hmm. And yet the church has grabbed onto them. And I think the reason why I say that, that the issue of allies is coming at us with your question, because I think this is part of what we see with the church and COVID. I think we're, I think we're going toward trying to make uh, al- alliances yep. with people yep. that we don't know what this is going to cost us. And we don't know what, what uh, compromises we've already made just by making an alliance with them. In other words, David, being good without God. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Go true. ahead. We've talked about going into the darkness, but I, I want to talk for a minute about what exactly is the nature of the darkness. <laughs> because if we establish that we agree that we're headed into the darkness as a nation, then we are on, we're on the same page as anyone who is in a frenzy about mm-hmm, COVID and mm-hmm. vaccines, because that's precisely why they are, they are mm-hmm. in a frenzy. They believe we're headed to the darkness. So from their perspective, what is the nature of the darkness? And I think it's that they are going to take our kids away. They don't want their children to be taken away. They don't want, they, they want to be able to worship God the way they want to. They read articles about the cake bakers uh, having their store shut down and being bankrupted and so forth because of the lawsuits about gay cakes and so forth. Uh, they see people, Christians, getting canceled on social media or at least President Trump getting canceled on social media. So they they think, well, if President Trump can get canceled, then certainly anyone else can get canceled as well. And, you know, I've listed those things because that is the nature of the darkness we're headed into. How how would you describe the nature of this darkness? I would describe it as opposite what most people would describe it as. I am not depressed about the oppression of consciences— by a whole mess of political entities in the Western world. Because I think that that is inexorable, given the condition of the church and our unwillingness to fear God and to preach to our people. If we will not let judgment begin in the house of God, it doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter if we run people for the Senate and they win. I remember my father having such a high view of uh, Mark Hatfield when he was a senator, Christian. And then it came out that Hatfield's wife was playing in the real estate market in an unethical way. Mm. How many times do we have to learn that if we put our hope in political processes and political individuals, we are going to to be burned. And that's the whole point of Jacques Ellul's book, The False Presence of the Kingdom. Mm -hmm. His whole book makes the case that the minute the church looks to the government, the church is corrupted. And I'm not against getting arrested at an abortuary. I'm not against protesting at a political rally. I'm not against writing uh, a remonstrance, as, you know, as a number of pastors did to the government of Scotland, I uh, put it up on Warhorn this week. I think all those things are good. My father was once invited to go to the White House under Nixon during the Vietnam War. And he thought that he had been invited to preach. It turns out he had been invited to go there to, to participate in the worship service. And he had made a decision when he went there that he was going to preach against the Vietnam War. Okay? Hmm. 
And I mean, we all realize, of course, dad would do that. It'd make him a stench in the eyes of Pharaoh or mm -hmm. Richard Nixon, yeah. you know, but dad was principally opposed to the Vietnam War. Okay. Mm. So you do those things, you know, if you're asked to be a panelist at IU on the issue of euthanasia, if you have a judge of the appellate courts in Indianapolis in your church, you do all these things, but you certainly don't put your hope in a political entity. You fight for its purity, you fight for law, but your hope is in God reforming his church. And that's the thing that across my lifetime, I have never seen anybody concerned about the reform that starts, the judgment that starts in the house of God. Okay, so in other words, you think that the uh, nature of the darkness actually is the church's lamp going out. Absolutely. That's, that's the fundamental. Absolutely. What happens when the salt loses its savor? Mm -hmm. Jesus said this, you are the salt, you are the light. And the church, my entire lifetime, has adamantly refused and has instead tried to find a place to stand that they can appear to be nice people so that people will realize they're in the city for the city. And I mean, it's just, it's repulsive to okay, me. Okay, but th that means that you're not you don't necessarily disagree with the people that are in a frenzy over COVID because you would probably agree that you know, civil government is going to clamp down on Christians. And well, it's Christian been witness. doing it forever. Okay. And that, well, so I was thinking. It infuriates me that Trump has, President Trump has been removed. And I'm no fan of President Trump. I voted for him. I'd vote for him again. Yeah. I'm happy for a ton of things he did. Mm -hmm. It infuriates me that we now have these oligarchs mm -hmm. in Silicon Valley who are controlling the freedom of expression in the Western world. It infuriates me, but I do not have my hope in repealing that, not because I'm a fatalist, but because I think even if you allow Christians to say whatever they want, what are they gonna say? We are not disciplining the people of God as we ought. We are not preaching to them as we ought. We are not pastorally caring for them as we ought. And so you think the world is going to take note of us and their consciences are going to be wounded and they're going to flee to the cross? But can't you do both things? I told you, we do do that. People think that because we're not agitating, that that must mean that we're not involved in politics, in witness, in sacrifice, in persecution. It's like, yes, we do both things. I'm faulting them for not preaching to their own church, for not fencing their own table, for not rebuking, for not disciplining. And, you know, but, but it's, well, it's like you've been opposed to them, though. I don't know, because. Yes, but listen, Lucas, you were asking, you, you said in the question earlier that the woman, the mom who's afraid their children are going to be taken away and who's who helps her? Where is she going to find help in the face of not just the possible reality that she'll lose her children, but the, the, the final and ultimate reality that every one of us is going to die. Everybody in that congregation is going to die. Okay. You and we're going to stand before the judgment. Yeah, we're going to stand. God. We might die okay. of COVID. We might die of Something else. this, or we might yeah. die of that, but we're all going to die and stand in front of the judgment seat of God. And so where is your hope? Well, your, but, but let's say, just for the sake of argument, let's say our hope is actually in 
the reform of the United States of America, the reclamation of our Bill of Rights, the safety of unborn children. Let's just say we don't even care about eternity, just for the sake of argument. Okay. I am making the case that it is God's prophets who are the ones who restore the rule of law. They are the ones who restore the civil rights that are we have claimed come and are inalienable from our creator, okay? David, I'm, I'm agreeing with you that yeah. it is the soul. I'm, but that's what I'm trying to get at with what he asked. He's, he's asking about where, you know, I'm, I don't want to go too much on this no, mom no, go and ahead. her kid, but no, go ahead. she's looking at her child. And if you think about pastors and fathers in the church, mm-hmm. pastors and fathers in the church have to pre- present God correctly. Well, when, when my father lived on this earth and when I lived in his house, I've said this before, probably, maybe even on this broadcast, there was not a man in the world probably that I knew that I feared more. And there wasn't a place in the world that I knew that I felt more secure than in the context of my father's care and in his house. And if you think about that in the terms of the church, our people, if they're distressed And what we present to them is the solution to your distress is changing the law or even changing the people so that we'll get the law uh, interpreted the way we think it should be interpreted or whatever it is. If that's what you're going to present to them as their hope, it's, it's futile. There isn't any hope in those things. I mean, I was thinking about Martin Luther and he writes, a mighty fortress is our God. And there we are. We are, uh, we are standing either on the rock, the, the solid foundation of God, or we're anything else that you can think of that we're standing on. And if but, our hope but, is in it. But everyone you're talking to would agree that our hope is in the Lord. No, I don't think so. I think they might agree with it this way, but they don't have, they don't have, uh, if, a, if, a, if there's not a preacher f- preaching to them the truth of God's word so that they actually have uh, trembles of conscience and fear and they actually are presented a god that is as the scripture says again and again and again is to be feared if they're not if they're not actually presented with that god and then presented with the the same god whose power it is and whose heart it is to save his people and they don't live their lives in the context of that reality, then what is it that, they, that they're agreeing with me about? You know, Lucas, it's not how many pastors in a hundred are, are faithful in that work. How many pastors in a hundred were faithful in Calvin's day? He has a, a quote about that I've heard somebody say before. But I can agree with you that there are very few men who are faithful, right? And we pray ourselves, Lord, help us to be faithful. And yet you're, you're pitting wanting and working for the change in a law so that abortion is illegal against preaching to the conscience in a, in a congregation. You mean for the change of a nation? Again, I'm back to the woman who's afraid her child's going to get taken away. Okay, so let's talk about that example. And I'm looking at the woman who's afraid her child's get take, getting taken away, and I think, first of all, mm-hmm. there is the reality that her child could be potentially taken away. Yeah. And... Then there is the internals of her heart as to whether or not she has faith in God for whatever could happen. Let me try to have a hack at this. You keep mentioning the woman who's afraid her child is going to be taken away. That sentiment, that fear is certainly central to COVID. 
parents are f- scared out of their wits that their children are going to be forced to have a vaccine that might kill them. And this has always been a part of conservative parents having children worried about their children, their vaccination. This is not a new thing. And of course, we're concerned that our children, I mean, when your child's born and you're supposed to have, I forget the, oh, the battery yeah. of things that you're right. supposed to have. And every parent is like, am I being a good father, a good mother by submitting to them? And all of us have, have not submitted. I keep bringing up, Mary Lee and I had our babies at home. Not all of them because one was breached, et cetera, et cetera. But from 1976, we had them at home. Part of my thing about people having their babies at home and dying at home is that it avoids the man, okay? Mm-hmm. It takes back natural processes of life and death away from the authority of medicine, which it is an authority, okay? No question. All right. But what is the real threat to our children being taken away? I'm sitting here thinking, are you serious? 30 years ago, when I was a pastor in Wisconsin, Sam Kaiser, I think was his last name, he was a CRC pastor in Randolph. His grandfather was over at his house. He went out to cut Sam's lawn. His son rode on the grandfather's lap as he cut the lawn. His son fell off the lap or something, and he got part of his foot cut off by the lawnmower, sitting in his grandfather's lap, and bam! Child Protective Services took him away from them. Hmm. I mean, this is nothing new. And then I think about the fact that I've been opposing abortion for decades. You know, I went to the Coop Schaefer dog and pony show in Denver back in 1978 or 79. And my dad was director of Christian Medical Society. And I went to him. I said, you have to get CNMS to take a position against abortion. At that time, C. Everett Koop was going to be Surgeon General. He resigned as my dad came in, and they were very close friends. I have the correspondence in my files. And Koop said, no, I won't be a part of any organization that doesn't condemn abortion. And that was Christian Medical Society. All right. Despite my opposition to abortion, I have regularly said for all over these decades that if there is something even worse than the murder of unborn children in the womb, it is the fact that the government declares that a minor girl of Christian parents can be taken to have an abortion without the parent's knowledge or consent. I really don't think there is anything more wicked Mm. about our government than the fact that they say that a minor child can kill their unborn child and that there's nothing the parents can do. And that's been going on for decades. So what's my point? Do I sound like somebody's that's like, just so just chill out. I mean, we've been boiling for a long time. Yeah. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that we have had our eyes closed. Things aren't going to hell in a handbasket all of a sudden because of COVID. This stuff has all been going on. It's horrible. Mm. And still the pastors don't preach against abortion, don't preach against fornication, don't preach against abortion against adultery, don't preach against effeminacy, don't preach against sodomy, don't preach against divorce. And I know, like you said earlier, everybody's going to say, 
oh, yes, we're opposed to adultery. Mm -hmm. We're Mm -hmm. opposed to divorce. It's unbiblical. And I say, look, (laughs) no, you're not. And you say, oh, yes, we have a statement of our denomination that's against it. I say, yeah, I know. I've, been, I've, I've helped write those statements for the PCA on women in, in combat. That doesn't mean you're against women in combat. You don't have your, the test of your faith is not the statements that are in books. The test of your faith is whether you go to a couple and you say, you must not use the birth control pill because it is does work partially as an abortifacient. Mm. Okay? Yeah. Imagine how many pastors in the country are teaching their people that they're using forms of birth control that kill their little ones when they're just fresh lives given them from God. Hmm. And so people can say, we're against abortion. And so I'm invited to go speak to a, a group of people who are against abortion. What do I do? Well, I don't talk about surgical abortions. They're probably a minority of abortions in America now. Mm. I talk about chemical abortions because those are being done in the most conservative churches, including ours. Mm -hmm. I had a young couple tell me recently that twice to cover up their sin, they used ECPs. Well, ECPs are known to have a partial agency of rendering the womb inhospitable Mm. to the implantation of an embryo. What is an embryo? An embryo is a man who God has made in his own image and likeness. Mm. And so I care about this stuff, but I'm sick and tired of Christians getting all wound up about whatever the latest political issue is, and then cloaking it with religious significance, and then standing up and saying, we're not going to take it anymore. Mm. It just is It is so constant across my life. I look at what's going on now. It's identical to Jerry Falwell. Identical. It's identical. I had no part with Jerry Falwell. Okay, so you're going to have to tell people who was Jerry Falwell. Well, Jerry Falwell Jr. is the guy we read about recently, but the old guy, Thomas Road, or Lynchburg and Lynchburg, Thomas Road Baptist or whatever it was. And Jerry Falwell and Ralph Reed, it was just... Uh, to some degree, Jim Dobson. There were these all these men who traded on the patriotism of the most conservative Americans, who were Christians by and large, and had flag wearing, waving rallies and stood up against taking prayer out of public schools. So, prayer being taken out of public school by the Supreme Court is a very close parallel to uh, social distancing today and Mm. stuff. Not that it has the same goal, but it it had a similar uh, effect on conservative Christians making them wacko and belligerate and having rallies and saying, we're not going to take it Mm -hmm. anymore. Mm -hmm. And my father back then wrote an article in one of the most conservative evangelical reform publications out of 10th Prez, Eternity Magazine, which he said, actually... I don't want my public school teachers leading my children in prayer. Hmm. And I mean, people were furious with him. They thought that he was against religious freedom and he was against, you know, godliness in the public school. But my dad's point was, do you know who those people are who will be leading your children in prayer? I mean, how can, okay, fine. Maybe he was wrong. 
But that's the kind of thinking that we don't find because people just think that there's some place, if we just get our government to go back to that place, we'll be safe. Mm. That place wasn't in the first part of the 20th century, wasn't in the second, wasn't in the last half of the 19th century, wasn't in the first half. It wasn't among the deists in the colonial period. Mm. It wasn't in Rhode Island and Connecticut the way it was in Mass. I mean, and it wasn't back at the time of Oliver Cromwell. I just got done reading a biography of Oliver Cromwell. Oh, they were sure that they were going to bring in the kingdom of God, you know? So so all the COVID frenzy you think is a distraction. I am, and we are, very opposed to this government overreach. Mm -hmm. Very opposed. We have sent letters to our civil authorities telling them what we won't do Mm -hmm. if they command it, how we think they should make their commands with limitations. We have told them we will sing. It doesn't matter what you say. And when you have aerosol so much a part of the contagion, it appears saying we will sing is saying we will continue to protect the souls of our people, even if you judge that our protection of the souls is inimical to your protection of their bodies. Mm. And so, no, I'm not against it all. Individual churches in in specific places saying, we're not going to do this, we're going to do this, we're not going to do this. I'm not against civil disobedience at all. Mm -hmm. What I'm against is us nakedly, obviously, uh, gnashing our teeth and shaking our fists for the sake of the Christians watching us. Mm. The most effective influence politically is always the influence that is done respectfully. And usually that involves privately. Like the American uh, Revolution? <laughs> okay, so what's your point? Well, my point is you made the claim that the, the most effective political engagement is the quiet kind. And I'm thinking like, okay, but that's it's pretty baked deep in our DNA as Americans that that's not actually true because we decided to fight to be a nation, to be separate from our authorities. I did not say that I would not engage in civil disobedience, that I wouldn't get arrested. I did not say I'm against war. I'm very much in favor of war. <laughs> okay. I did not say that I wouldn't shoot a gun. Uh-huh. And so, no, it's not that I'm against war. It's that, first of all, I believe it matters whether you're called to be an officer of the church or of the state. Okay, mm. number one. Okay. And I, as a pastor, am called to speak respectfully to those who are my peers in another sphere. Hmm. I am not called to rabble-rouse the civilians. So you say at that point, well, what do you think the Boston Tea Party was? Mm -hmm. And my response is, well, was John Witherspoon out there throwing tea into the water? Probably not. No, he wasn't. And so he signed the Declaration of Independence— does that mean he would have belligerated against COVID today? No, he wouldn't have. How do I know that? Well, read the sermon that he gave explaining his decision to support the revolution. Hmm. And it is respectful. It cultivates and commands respect for the civil authorities. It's respectful of the king mm -hmm. that he says it's time to separate from. And you know, you look throughout history and you read the remonstrances of godly men to their civil authorities. I think one of the reasons that Calvin was so upset 
about the first blast of the trumpet against the monstrous regiment of women was not that he disagreed with the doctrine that women shouldn't be an authority over men in the civil authority. He made it very clear in his correspondence that he agreed with the principle of John Knox. But he was uncomfortable that John Knox did this uh, anonymous attack upon the queen. Hmm. And so there has to be respect for authority evident in us as we oppose authority. Hmm. And I ask you two men as husbands, hmm. <laughs> which has the influence on you when your wife, who is your subordinate in a very real way, yep. Yep. when she comes to you and belligerates, uh, do you find yourself naturally wanting to, you know, I mean, come on. And what about us as pastors and elders when people in the church are, are just gnashing their teeth and rabble-rousing among the people of the church? We call it schism. But when people come to us and are respectful and tell us we're wrong, I mean, we're, we're predisposed to agree with them that we're wrong because we're so odd that in America, among conservative reform people, there's anybody that still has some minimal microscopic respect for authority. There is a lot more to come in the next few weeks with this conversation about COVID, so stick with us. Thanks so much for listening. My name is Lucas Weeks, and our conversation today was with Tim Bailey and Max Carell. We serve as pastors at Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. For more great content, please visit warhornmedia.com. To support this podcast, you can donate at patreon.com slash out of our minds. Bye for now.